It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. With me in the KFG studios, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Well, it's graduation season, and a large group of talented young individuals are about to enter the workforce, start their careers, and start their financial life. What is the financial advice that these graduates need to hear? That and more coming up on this episode of The Wise Money Show. That's right. We've got uh, questions from fans of the show later in the program. If you have a question or have any needs, we are here to help. You can call or text us, 574-222-2000. That's 574 574- 222-2000 online, wisemoneyshow.com. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. Check us out. We're here to help. All right, it's spring. Gosh, the baseball park is open. There's this yellow ball in the sky. You can feel optimistic. And yeah, around, the, I, I would say around the world, certainly around the U.S. over the next three weekends, there are going to be a bunch of people taking a stage and delivering advice to young students who are about to make an impression on the world. Hopefully eager, right? They want to change the world. Hopefully they're eager. And yet there's either celebrities or there's professors or there's business folks taking the stage at, at, uh, at graduation ceremonies all, all throughout the United States, giving commencement speeches trying to impart some wisdom on these young adults who are about to enter the workforce. Now, I was thinking about this and just bitter that no one's called. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely kidding and would probably turn that down. Uh, However, I just thought, well, listen, for those of you that are graduating right now or have kids or grandkids that are graduating right now or just are, you know, trying to kind of blaze your own trail, in your finances, what if we devote this time to our own sort of financial version of a commencement speech? What advice would we give? Now, I'm thinking, I actually saw here, okay, some of the best advice from commencement speeches. Ditch the dream, be a doer, not a dreamer. I kind of like that one, right? Uh, Steve Jobs, I'm not sure if I can find it right now, but um, the, the, okay, here we go. Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. Pretty good. Hmm. Now, if you do the search of best uh, advice in commencement, you're going to find a lot of garbage out there. (laughs) And we might deliver some to you as well. But financially focused, guys, totally open-ended. Our class of 2023 financial commencement speech, what advice would you give graduates today? I'm actually most eager to hear what your advice is going to be. Oh, yeah? My prediction is that it's going to have something to do with Take a sabbatical before you even start working. Oh gosh, guys! Don't okay. you don't you think? The, so is, yeah, I I I do think. I mean, it worked so. for Mike. I, it did, it, and Mike's had an illustrious <laughs> career after the how long? I can't remember how long it was, but uh, three years. A considerable <laughs> amount of time off between college and work. I graduated yeah. from Michigan State, and I started my job at Corhorn Financial Group. A week and a half later, oh, because it. I needed to move, and I Seemed thought I'm going like to work for the rest eternity. of my life. I'm going to, you know, take. I had already interned here, and, and it was that, and uh, and these guys. It's it's this growing fish story. 
<laughs> of how long, how much time I took. It is one of my favorite fish stories. Yeah. You're right. All right. So what advice would we give? And and obviously financial related, but some some of it's in some of it's indirect. I've got a long list, guys. Uh, who wants to start? Kick it off. Go for it, Kevin. Well, I I would if I was giving the commencement speech, I would say, first of all, you're going to accomplish way more than you can even believe right now. And so that's that's one thing that I would say. I would say, number two, I would say, make sure that you know what you want to accomplish and you write it down. So write down your goals. Have written goals. Have uh, three, five, ten. I wrote at my tenure, I don't know, it was my five-year, ten-year class reunion, I, I wrote what things were going to, they said, you know, write what things are going to look like 20 years from now. I wrote it. It My life looks almost identical to that. But I'm still uh, that, a geek. I, I, I write them down. Guys, I'll just share with you right now. I, and I've got a list of, I think, nine of them this year. Saving 15% for retirement is a written goal of mine, right? And, mm-hmm. and so is, first one, and this one scares me a little bit, run 500 miles. Not all at once. Not <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pace myself. Ultra but, marathon. I, but I have that I have that goal. And so, yeah, write your goals. Make that a habit. But I would throw those into a different category than what Kevin's talking about, because you're, you're absolutely right. That's one of the most important disciplines or habits that you can get into is regularly setting goals that are achievable and and checking them off the list. You know, make those annual goals, maybe even shorter goals. But what you were describing, Kevin, of picturing life 20 years out, mm-hmm. that that's an interesting exercise. If you've never done that before for your own life, maybe for your own marriage, your own family. Uh, maybe you've done it in a, a work type of a setting. We, we've certainly done that exercise when we're planning uh, where we think uh, Corhorn Financial could, Group could go and, and what kind of in, impact it can be. But man, thinking further out than what your eye can really even go is certainly yeah. something that Man, it, it really distinguishes those that do achieve more, you know? It, 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 it's grounded in the first habit of ha- seven habits of highly effective people. And what I would say is a, a hallmark to um, a hallmark habit for anyone that has great lasting success financially, and that is being proactive, yeah, thinking ahead. Yep. All right. So let me, I'll be more direct in my first uh, attempt at this. Um, Financial advice for those of you graduating, move out, move out, be independent. It's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And and, and so, and just because it's hard though, doesn't mean it's something that you should avoid or delay. I understand. I understand as much as anyone, the housing affordability challenges that we've got right now, how expensive rent is, but enter that struggle, enter that struggle, move out, take that step towards independence. I don't see how you can do that without working hard, without having a budget, having financial discipline, but all of those things come along with moving out, take that step towards independence. Would you suggest that like a recent college grad still find roommates? Oh yeah, sure. You're still splitting rent, you're still saving some money that way. Uh, The longer that you can actually still stay in the, the economic status of a college student, the better. Because, you know, think about in your college years, you are, you're sharing rent, you're, um, you know, scraping and, and getting by, that kind of thing. I, you don't have to immediately, as soon as you get your first job out of school, suddenly achieve some new status or some new lifestyle. Hold yourself back a little bit. Keep, keep the lifestyle going that you were used to and, 
and the sacrifices that you've been making when you were working hard in the summers to scrape together enough money for tuition or for room and board or, or something like that. Keep that approach going. I, I agree. But you could do that from your parents' basement. Mm-hmm. Or you could do that out on your own. And the thought of getting out of your parents' basement or out of the home that you grew up in, it is, it's an important milestone, right? Yeah. It also kind of signals to your brain, I'm not going to act as though there's a safety net in place. Yep. And I'm just going to take better action. I'm going to make better choices. I'm going to work harder because I am. I'm out on my own and uh, I'm not a dependent anymore. Yeah. What else? Kevin, what you got? Well, I, I, to, to your point, Josh, I said beans, then steak. Mm-hmm. So, so like don't, don't rush into a lifestyle that you think you should have. And the, you know, when you talk to people and you say, what makes someone successful financially? It's their habits. So make sure you have the right habits. And, and the, one of the best habits that you can have is to always spend less than you have and save the difference. Mm-hmm. So it's to me the the best example is when when you're eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you eat the crust and you take all these bites of crust, and then at the end you have two or three great bites of just the middle. Oh. It is fabulous. <laughs> I don't know, that... I don't know uh, how that relates to finances, but it gross Josh out. He doesn't. Right. He doesn't like be, because you're waiting. Well, okay, how's this? Delayed gratification. That, yeah. that might be a more grown-up term than talking about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. If, you, but if you've got some work to do, some jobs you like, some jobs you don't, do the job you don't like first. Yeah, Get, well, get it done. Yeah, and what do you do with a job you don't like? Yep. Finish, Finish it. it. Get, That's get, right. it yep. get it done. I, I had one similar that there are limits on what you can say yes to financially. Recognize that those limits exist, not to just be mean or whatever, but it's, it's real and therefore you know, live within your limit. So absolutely the guideline of always spend less than what you make and save the difference. Guys, I feel like we're just, we haven't even gotten to a groove yet. What's the financial advice that graduates need to hear right now? We've got that more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. All right, what's the financial advice that you need to hear right now? College graduates, high school graduates, or wherever you're at in your finances, what's financial advice that you need to hear right now? That's what we're delivering. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard. With me in the KFC studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Uh, Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can learn about the show, learn about the firm, submit questions there as well. We appreciate it. All over social media, we're there as well. Just search the Wise Money Show. Big idea for the angle, the approach uh, we're taking today is, listen, it's, it's college graduation season. It's graduation season. Commencement speeches across the country are going to be delivered on weekends, maybe even some last night, tonight, over the next few weeks. What's the financial advice that you need to hear? The financial commencement speech for class of 2023, we're delivering that right now. Guys, what do you got? I, I want to piggyback on something that Kevin left off in the last segment. Uh, it's some of the best advice that he's ever given to me. I know he's given it to you as well, Mike, but it was live off less than you earn and save or invest the difference. And one of the benefits of that, it, it kind of goes hand in hand with the, the strategy for just avoiding debt in your life. Mm-hmm. If you're always keeping your own um, consumption, your own spending below what your income is, 
then there's really no need to go into consumer type debt. You know, I'm talking credit cards or maybe even car loans, that sort of thing. It's unlikely that you can save your way to buying a house. I've heard of people doing it. It takes a long time. It's difficult. Most people are going to borrow for a house. But um, I, I would almost give you uh, the, the advice. I would frame it this way. Make sure that you're always spending money that you've already earned. Yes. As opposed to, you know, there's an entire credit card industry out there that would just stand up, uh, stand in line, really, to give you money and let you spend money that you haven't even earned yet. And uh, that just obligates your future. It makes an assumption about the future and your future earning capacity that times will always be better out there in the future. And it's just not always true. And that's what sometimes gets people into trouble. All of that's avoidable if you're doing exactly what Kevin said, living on less than what you earn Mm -hmm. and saving up the difference. That savings is what creates a buffer between you and financial crisis, or you and being tempted to use a credit card for something fun or something even that you need, you can just use cash that you've already earned, already saved. I thought you were, so, when I was in college, I thought you were supposed to use credit cards. I thought that's what everyone did. And I bought a computer on it and I got my first statement. I saw the interest and I panicked. I was in this little apartment that was about the size of this table. I'm not kidding. It's the smallest apartment I've ever seen in my life. I haven't seen one in New York City, but it rivaled that. And I got my first statement and I saw what interest actually was. Hmm. And I panicked and I freaked out and I paid the whole thing off the very next day because I was so afraid. But I thought it was just natural. That's what you were supposed to do. For, I think for the it's purpose even, of like building credit or something like that? Cor- correct. And that's adulting, right? Is yeah. how you, you know, the slang today. But it's even got, it's got to be even more ingrained into the system today because everything's electronic. No one pays with cash anymore. Back when I was in college, people used cash. And so, I, yeah, I had something similar. Don't, don't, don't let debt take a permanent home in your life. Don't get comfortable spending tomorrow's earnings today. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I would want you to understand the emotional connection you have to your money mm. and also remember that when you make decisions based on emotion, it's quite possible that you're going to make a mistake. So I would money is a very interesting thing. There's the there's the art of money and the science of money. And you know, the science of money is is really the you know, one plus one equals two. You can't really argue that. The art is how do I feel? How do I feel about this money and what is my connection? And really what the other thing when you think about money is what is my identity? And is my identity at all connected to what I live in, to what I drive, to what I wear, to what I get to shoot on the weekends, um, <laughs> to what I get to catch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, just fill in the blank. And so it's it's it takes, as far as I can tell, it takes a lifetime, but I would get very, very connected to understanding what is my emotional relationship to money? How does money make me feel? How does saving money make me feel? How does spending money make me feel? What What are the things that I need to do to taste the salt, if you will? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I think you were reading right off my uh, chicken scratch here on my on my sheet because I said almost the exact same thing, that you shouldn't be living in your wealth. You shouldn't be driving your wealth. You shouldn't be wearing your wealth. 
the, the people who achieve the most financial health and success and freedom in their lives are the people who early on, they start building in the habit of accumulating assets that can grow for them, as opposed to those assets that we were just describing or alluding to. Cars depreciate, clothes wear out, houses, yeah, maybe they can grow in value and keep up with inflation, but I got to tell you, houses are expensive. Yeah. They're hard to maintain sometimes. And, um, you know, having a, a, an intentional approach to building up assets that can grow for you and build wealth that can someday support you, either um, by, by accumulating or, or growing in value or generating income for you down the road. Don't, don't wear your wealth. Josh uh, is definitely the best dressed today in the studio. I'll just throw that out there. Hey, all right, here's, here's one for you. Odds are you're not going to get rich overnight. There's not going to yeah. likely be this brilliant idea or some stroke of genius where you're going to get a windfall. You're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. What gets kind of uh, publicized is, are these get rich quick or these overnight success or whatever? No one's an overnight success. It, 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 can it happen? Yep. Statistically, it never happens. It never happens. So if you have this vision or this goal of having financial independence and having financial security, like the guys already said, don't put your, your hope in that. Number one, number two, it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to do it the old fashioned way. And the old fashioned way is grinding it out, paying off debt, building up an emergency fund, having the budget, saving for retirement. And this is connected to, I think the third thing that I put on my list, and that is start saving for retirement from your very first paycheck from your very first paycheck. You're, you've got to pay into FICA, which is paying into your, your retirement for Social Security and Medicare. Start your own as well, because we also know Social Security and Medicare alone are not going to cut it. So you've got to be contributing for your long term. And I know it's hard, and I know there's excuses, there's reasons. Start saving, I would say, 15% from your very first paycheck. Contrary to what some other financial personalities would say on the radio, yes, even if you have debt, yes, even if you don't have an emergency fund, build that habit from your very first paycheck. You know, I'll piggyback on that just a little bit, because when you talk about saving for retirement, um, all that means is you're making contributions into some sort of investment vehicle that gives you the ability to grow for the future. And that probably is not a savings account itself. Um, you know, I, I would encourage you, along with what Mike was saying, to become a student of the stock market, or at least the investments that tie into the stock market. And it may feel like this just crazy world. It might feel like gambling to you, like it's too risky, or I don't understand it. But just recognize that when you invest in, in assets that are tied to the stock market, you essentially are owning a piece of American ingenuity of American production capacity. These corporations, world-class companies that are delivering products and services that people want and need, and they're doing it profitably. You don't have to be a genius inventor to come up with some awesome new product or some amazing you know, consultant or, or service provider or something. You can own a piece of those businesses. And because of that, you can benefit from the effects of compounding growth over time. That's where really all the power comes when you do start early saving for retirement. Um, it's, it's giving yourself enough time for those types of investments that 
have just had a history of producing wealth for people to get to work for you. Yeah. I, I had one very similar. Don't be afraid of the stock market. And I think right now, because there's been some turbulence, if you're graduating right now, the, probably the only thing you've heard about investing is uh, meme stocks, Tesla stock, and the stock market underperforming. Don't be, that's not investing, number one. That is more like gambling. And don't be afraid of the stock market. The volatility, the ups and downs, that's a feature, not a bug, as Kevin says. Therefore, there's a relationship between risk and reward. The fact that it does feel temporarily like there's some risk every day or every week or every month or every year that there's volatility, that's what gives you the ability for a long-term return. That risk is what gives you the ability for a long-term return. Josh said it better than, than me as far as what you're investing in. So don't be afraid of the stock market. What other financial advice do you need to hear? We've got that and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Our class of 2023 financial commencement speech right now. We're helping with that, giving you financial advice wherever you're at in life or if you're graduating, what you need to hear. That's what we're helping with right now. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name's Mike Bernard with me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Stay up to date. No, actually, stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online at wisemoneyshow.com, but also on the YouTube channel. Go check us out. Uh, this content, this show, every past episode, as well as a lot of other content that we air all throughout the work week. Go to YouTube, search The Wise Money Show, follow us there. All right, so we're talking about financial advice to graduates right now. Whether you've got a graduate as a grandchild or child, uh, yeah, have them tune in, right? The, as far as what should they be... Uh, what action should they be taking in their financial life? What should their posture be with their finances? But truly, wherever you're at in life, what's some motivating, some perspective, some go get this uh, advice that you need to hear? We're helping with that, guys. What else? What else? I've got a, I've got still plenty on my list. Well, you know, right. I I think um, if you're gonna give the best hours of most days to your work then I would just encourage you to find a way to make sure that your work always has meaning, meaning beyond just a paycheck. So don't settle for a J-O-B. I, I would even encourage you, you know, maybe not settle for a career if you can avoid that. Instead, reach for something higher, reach for something like a calling. And that may or may not be your actual day job, your your actual employment or how you provide for yourself financially. But for those who their calling also provides the paycheck, man, what what an awesome blessing that is for, for those folks. And if that's not you, it's okay. You can still have a job. You can still have an awesome career. But I would encourage you to let those things fund the calling that is happening somewhere else. Maybe it's volunteer work that you're doing or or something that brings that meaning to your life. And that's what makes those those work hours not feel like work. Yeah, I mean, what is it? This overlapping circles of you've got to be good at it. Uh-huh. You've got, it's got to be able to pay the bills. Now it's not me. Oh, I've got to get rich. It's got to be the highest paying job. No, no, no. It's got to financially got to, got to pay the bills. And then you've got to have, be passionate about it, that calling. And ideally that over that those overlapping circles happen at your job. But we see a lot of folks where it doesn't, their passion is about 
you know, rescuing animals or something like that. And, and they either aren't good at it, maybe they are, or it doesn't provide the financial means, uh, the, the economics that they, that they want. And therefore you've got to find that passion outside of work. But Josh, I completely agree. I, I would connect that to this advice from a hundred years ago, um, from, uh, Napoleon Hill. Do more today than what you're getting paid for. I think there's a mentality out there, and certainly we see this in sports sometimes or whatever, but, well, I will do this extra work, this extra effort, or do this extra job, but you got to pay me for it. I'll give more once you start paying me for more. Actually, guys, I I understand the logic there. It makes complete sense. It's just not really how it works in real life. That's exactly right. You know, it's similar to... If every human interaction that you had, you were intentional about just bringing value into other people's lives um, or being a blessing to them in some way, it might just be a word of encouragement or a smile or something like that. Maybe it's a, a word of advice or or whatever. Um, but if if each human interaction that you have is bringing value to that person, then um, yeah, you're, you're going to be someone that others are kind of drawn to. Mm-hmm. And that that has all kinds of far-reaching benefits in your life, not to mention, obviously, economically, uh, you're, you're more likely to have a job or a career or a calling that just economically benefits you more because you are a blessing in other people's lives. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, a, a number of things, When if you're getting out of school, whether you're getting out of high school or getting out of college and starting in, in the workforce, I would tell you that this is when the learning begins. Yeah. So I started, um, I had a finance degree, and I learned more in my first six months on the job than I did in four years of college. Mm -hmm. And I learned different things. But I I think it's really, because a lot of times you think, oh, sweet, I'm going to go, I'm going to sell my books back to the bookstore, Hmm. and I'm done learning. And no, actually, the learning is just beginning. And you want to be a lifetime learning, mm-hmm. a lifetime learner, excuse me. And it because the reason why is if you have a curiosity, you you will be an interesting person. And I would and I would just a side note, I'd say try to be an interested person, not an interesting person. Yep. Um, but as you learn, you're you're going to know more. As you know more, you'll be able to improve your skills. As you improve your skills, you you'll be more valuable and it might not be a a a financial exchange of value but you will be more valuable and i would just work for the rest of my life on trying to make myself more valuable yeah and i can draw from some experience just uh, personal experience don't show up looking like a scrub um when when i even um at work, I, I try to encourage the interns don't don't show up looking like you don't you don't own a razor, um, <laughs> unless I mean if you want to if you want to have a nice well kept yeah. and trimmed facial hair, no problem. But if you want to have a where you've got a summer beard and summer here and summer here and summer <laughs> here, like shave that junk off your face. Napoleon Hill also a hundred years ago said in order like one of the keys in hallmarks to success is you got to go buy a suit. 
Yeah. You've got, and you could say, well, culture's changed. No, but if, read the text, read the book. He talks about how that makes you feel inside and what that causes you, what it urges you and what it pushes you to do and how other people perceive you. Yeah. And so yeah, there's a study agree. that says it, 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 the who holds the door for who. And if there's a guy wearing a suit, people hold the door for him. Yeah, it's it, it's just presumed it's to be an important person of some kind. Yeah. And yeah. then I would say work on f- learning how, especially if you're graduating right now, you grew up with stuff that your parents quite possibly didn't grow up with. And so you had all kinds of influences of technology and other things. I would learn how to look people in the eye. I would learn how to not look at my Apple Watch when I'm having a conversation with someone who is making decisions about my future. Um, and there, there, and and I would learn how to become a good conversationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, as I'm telling you to kind of steer clear of all of the. Um, you know, the, the, the high sugar content, whether it's social media, other things, you actually can find some awesome stuff on YouTube about how to become a better conversationalist. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I'd say be intentional about that stuff. Work on it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it's interesting. All this is just kind of reminding me that, you know, I, one of the things I love about our industry is, yeah, as soon as you get out of school and you want to become a financial advisor, you're getting started on a whole new learning journey. Mm-hmm. And part of what you have to learn is how to learn, learn differently. You no longer necessarily have someone who's guiding every educational step that you're taking. And I, I don't want to belittle students, but I, I certainly felt like education was spoon-fed to me mm-hmm. throughout you know, my whole educational career. And then all of a sudden, you got to go get it yourself. And what is it? What What is the that thing that you need to go get? And I, I love that you're talking about, Kevin, you know, acquiring marketable skills, things that matter to other people, that you can trade the value that your skills bring for financial benefit for yourself. And, uh, you know, what a what a great way to build some security and confidence into your your future. But especially because the world is changing so stinking fast. You're gonna. How, mm-hmm. how many times are you gonna need to reinvent yourself, mm-hmm. or reinvent your basket of skills, your your um, skill stack, so to yep. speak? Um, it's gonna almost be constant, and so you have to constantly be retooling and relearning. Make sure that you are that that lifelong learner that Kevin was talking about. All right, so we'll wrap up on this, and this is where you expected us to start, but I would tell you. You need a budget. You, you need a budget. Know the difference between a need and a want, really, and have an emergency fund. These are the tools to financial stability and success, not a penalty for some poor choices or something that only weak people do or, 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 or you know, geeks do. No, you need a budget. Understanding the difference between a need and a want, really, and have an emergency fund built up and in place. That is, that's the routine. That's your cash flow system, that all of your financial progress, that's the solid foundation that your financial progress can be built upon. All right, we've got lots more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. 
Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studio is Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check it out. Search the Wise Money Show. Subscribe or follow us there. Rate the program. We appreciate that. All right, into questions from fans of the show. First one came through the YouTube channel from Mary. My husband and I were both 59. He works and has a 401k at his job. I don't work. Can he max out his 401k, which she said is 30000 That's correct. And I max out a spousal IRA, $7,500. Are the contribution limits connected or are they combined or are they separate when you're married? I just tackled this question with a client as well. So what's guys, what's the answer? Yeah, what, what a great question. And uh, kudos to you for even being aggressive and wanting to save as much as possible. Uh, the good news is, e- even though you're not working, um, if your husband, if, and I'll say this for everybody, if your spouse earns enough money to cover a contribution for you and themselves, you can do this spousal contribution that, that Mary is referring to. And the, the cool thing is uh, you're each allowed to do it. Your, uh, your spouse is able to max out that 401k of $30,000 um, and also do $7,500 into an IRA or Roth IRA for you. We, we don't know what your income level is, so we're not sure of what which one you'd be uh, eligible for or whatever, but anyone can contribute to an IRA. We just don't know if it's going to be deductible, that kind of thing. And I'll point out, your husband could do it too. Yep. So it's $7,500 for each of you. The $30,000 401k contribution, you have to be an employee in order to make that one because that is a an employer-sponsored plan. You have to be working for an employer that offers this. So, Mary, you wouldn't be able to do that $30,000, but the others are on the table for you. So forty-five grand. Yeah. That's a, in this sort of situation, and in many situations, that's your... That's your coupon. You can, you can contribute that much. Yeah, Mary, I would think in terms of you have individual contribution limits, but it's based on your combined income. Mm-hmm. And so you say, well, does that really make sense? Well, no, this does. So <laughs> just think about your husband. The, the 30000 that's 22500 plus the 7500 that he can do because he's 50-plus. Um, you can... If you worked outside the home, you you don't work outside the home. Um, but if you did, you and your employer had a, a plan, you could uh, you'd be subject to those limits as well. But the IRA is um, that's where you would both benefit from either. And that's and this is where you want to say: Is it a deductible IRA? Mm-hmm. Is it a Roth IRA? Do we make too much money to fund a Roth IRA? Could I do a backdoor IRA? Mm-hmm. So Roth IRA. So there's there's a lot of there's a, there's a lot of different questions, but this is where our belief is is that if you fund the 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 opportunities, if you use the coupons that you have, there will be a time when you're thankful that you have. Absolutely. Just like mm-hmm. we talked about, hey, open up that 529 and get that 15-year clock ticking mm-hmm. because you never know how they're going to change the 529 plan rules. I'm pretty sure they're going to keep changing them. <laughs> they had a situation earlier where um, their husband and wife were retired and one of them started working part-time and total 
earnings were, you know, six six thousand dollars by one of the individuals. So I said, hey, let's put six grand into a retirement account. And the question was, well, wait a second. That's can we each do six? Can, can I do or can the individual that work do six? But then can I also do a spousal IRA for six? And now that's not how it works. The contribution limit is up to a hundred percent of what you earned. Uh, and then up to those those annual the the annual limits of seventy five hundred dollars. But so therefore, if the total wages between you and your spouse were six grand, you can't each do six. It's just combined. You can do up to up to six grand. So great question there, and and way to be way to be aggressive. Absolutely. Next question here, also on the YouTube. What's the rule for converting existing simple IRAs to a simple Roth? Now. The simple Roth is a brand new idea born from the Secure Act 2.0. As of right now, I don't think anyone's even built it yet. The laws say that you can, but now these companies actually need to construct it because it would have been simple to keep all of the simple rules and just add a Roth, but they added a Roth ability, but then they've added a whole bunch of other changes as well, making it not as simple. My understanding, even though there's a lot that we don't know yet, my understanding is it would be just like converting an IRA to a Roth IRA or just like converting some of your pre-tax 401k into your Roth 401k. You make a decision. I want to convert X amount. You sign a form or submit some sort of application to convert X amount within your simple IRA over to the simple Roth side of the 401k or of the simple IRA. And that's, you know, and, and that's it. You then get a tax form, a 1099, showing how much you did. And uh, when you get your tax documents at the end of or at the beginning of the next year, and you'll have to report that amount as income. Likely, you're not going to withhold anything on that. I don't even know if you could. I don't know if you We'll, we'll see what they do with the rules. Yeah, yeah, it's the wild, wild west. So a simple area is a savings incentive match plan for employees. And just think it's a it's a um, it's a, it's a very Spartan version of a four hundred one k. So it used to be. It, it I guess it still is. It still is. It's okay. Yeah, they've just made it more complicated. Don't, Lots of other choices. Don't get mad because I said Spartan. <laughs> um, so, uh, <laughs> in that context, in a derogatory way. <laughs> no, but so you and, and think in terms of hey, if I have a simple IRA and I, I, you're asking about a simple Roth. That is, we're still in the wild, wild west. So those yeah. those rules are to be determined, but that will be coming out. The other thing that I would think about is you can convert a s- simple IRA to a Roth IRA, but that's, you want to think in terms of I, I'm, I'm as of a certain age, I'm, I've been in the simple IRA for two years, a simple IRA, that money for the first two years, you're in a simple IRA. You want to think it's got some teeth uh, before you get out. Yeah. The penalties for moving money out of there are pretty, pretty steep. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing I would just point out this, this idea of moving traditional simple IRA dollars into this new simple Roth side. It's the same fundamental question that we always talk about when we're talking about Roth conversions. It's the idea that you could choose right now to pay some tax on money that you have been accumulating in a tax shelter, but they, they've been growing without being taxed along the way. And why would you want to do that? Because you believe that right now you could pay less tax than you would out there in the future. 
So this is, it's a tax planning decision. And we often hear the question, well, how much am I allowed to convert? And the answer is, as much as you can stomach, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because all all of the conversion, all the money that moves from the traditional side over to the Roth side is treated as income to you in the year that you make that, that transaction happen. And the question is, well, how much income do you want to have land on your tax return? How much can you afford to have land on your tax return without having some adverse consequences, maybe some unforeseen consequences? So the last thing you would want to do is just kind of blindly go in and make this move just because the government says you can now, right? Um, Instead, we would encourage you to make this something that you are testing that you're forecasting on, you're checking to see what will those consequences be on my tax picture. And you do that by running a tax projection with your certified financial planner or your CPA. Yeah. Great, great question. Let's sneak this one in real quick. We're not going to be able to completely finish it, but can you give me some sort of tip on the best way to allocate my investment amongst funds? What percentage should be in large, mid, small, and international? And really the question of 25% each, is that fair? So really quickly, what do you guys think? 25% each into those? I would argue no. So quick quick thoughts. Yeah, I would say it depends, Tom, because you want to have, to me, in each of those categories, you you want to have uh, exposure to growth and value. And when you look at international, you want to have emerging markets and developed markets you there's not anything on there about real estate and so there are just some other asset classes that um are not that you haven't included here that you'd want to have but i would say the one of the most important things is to once you have one of the biggest financial decisions you're going to make in your life is what is your asset allocation yeah so if you once you make that decision Make sure you've got some sort of a rebalance scheduled so that you can sell high and buy low. That's right. All right. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. You seriously made me nauseous with your... Peanut butter and jelly. Oh, you made me nauseous analogy. with the uh, taking time off after college. Don't be a little. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, uh, it's kind of funny because people talk. Sort of. They use the word jelly now instead of jealous. <laughs> so you sound you're a little jelly over there, Josh. Uh-huh. Wow. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.